All right, it's good to see all of you again. My name is Adam Sidler. I'm the senior pastor here at North Haven. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I would love to be able to do that. I'll be out in the comments after the service and we can interact. Uh, if you've joined us online and you're new to our church, thank you so much for clicking in. And uh, you can also connect. Uh, you can uh, hit uh, that comment button and, uh, and, and leave a comment, or you can hit the prayer button and let us know how we can be praying for you. Uh, it was mentioned in the video, but I want to just highlight again that connection card that's inside of your worship folder. Please, please, please take a moment and write down how we can be praying for you. Uh, we take time each week and we pray over those things. You can leave it on your seat as you leave, or you can put it in the box at the back of the worship center, the sanctuary when you leave. And again, if you're joining with us virtually, just hit that prayer button and uh, a confidential opportunity will be given to you to uh, let our hosts know how, you can, how we can be praying. Uh, so we are in a series, um, and we're in our fifth week, I believe, fifth week of a 50-week series. So uh, what is that? 5%? Is that 5%? Is that 10? I am so bad at math. Oh, my goodness gracious. 10%. Uh, we're 10% there, so I hope that's encouraging to you. Um, many people have been coming to me and saying, hey, I'm really loving the series, and I appreciate that feedback. I really do. Um, it doesn't hold any weight with me until we get to week 30, okay? At week 30, then, if you're still saying the same thing, I think, all right, we're on to something here, Okay. Well, we are going to move a little bit further down the road in chapter 2. Before we do, I just want to highlight this fact that is, seems to be universal to almost everybody. And that is, if you are really disappointed with something, say you go to a restaurant or you uh, go to some sort of... Um, uh, attraction, or you see a show, or whatever the case may be, people who are really disappointed in something will let others know. That's just what will happen. If you really love something, the same thing is true. You're going to tell people about it. Now, raise your hand if you've heard of Yelp. Anybody heard of Yelp? Yelp is a website review. It's a place where you can go and leave reviews for businesses, restaurants, uh, chiropractors, uh, uh, attractions, the like. You just you name it, you can leave a Yelp review about that experience. Um, I, I want to share some uh, Yelp reviews. These are actual reviews that kind of highlight what I'm talking about here. The first is from Jason L., uh, he gives five stars to the Alameda County Santa Rita Jail. He says, as far as jails go, this is the creme de la creme. First off, you don't even need a ride here. They pick you up from anywhere in the county. Sometimes they even get you out of bed and bring you, and it's all free of charge. Here's another one. Uh, this is um, a three-star review for the bus transit service. I must downgrade this to three stars. After the last bus I was on, ran over two pedestrians and kept going. You would think that'd be less than three stars, but I digress. Gary F. gives this one-star review to a pizza restaurant. Don't try the pizza. It's so good, you, won't, you will come back every day. It completely ruined my social life because each night I only want to go there. I hate this place. 
Another review from Ross F. at a taco restaurant gives it one star. The entire kitchen and waitstaff saw an ice cream truck and ran outside, leaving me alone in the restaurant. Ten minutes later, they all came back with ice cream cones. I still can't believe this actually happened. And then this last one, Abe L. gives Ford Theater two stars, was murdered here, would not recommend. Now, when, when we are disappointed or when we love something, we want to let people know. And we actually see somewhat of a Yelp review here in Acts chapter 2. Now, if you've been paying attention, if you've been part of this process so far, or if you're familiar with this part of Scripture, you know that at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 is when the Holy Spirit comes down. It comes down for the first time and indwells followers of Jesus for the first time. We talked a little bit about that last week. And Peter then, in response, he gives this Yelp review of sorts about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his resurrection and the hope and life found only through him. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, this is how it starts. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. So really quick, we'll keep that up on the screen. Quick context, we've talked about this before, but remember this is during the Feast of Harvest, the Pentecost feast where it was required by law that any Jewish man, whether you were born Jew or whether you had uh, adopted into that religion, you were required by law to come in to Jerusalem during this feast. So there were tons of Jewish individuals who were present and then were witnessed of what happened when the Holy Spirit descended. And that is now the audience that Peter is speaking to. This, they are all from all around the known world at that time. So this is immediately following Pentecost, as we said. And we've been looking at Pentecost the last couple weeks. Specifically last week, we looked at the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came down and dwelled the followers of Jesus, which resulted in them speaking in other known languages that other people, the crowd, heard and understood. Now, this event, as I mentioned, was witnessed by large crowds present. And it, it says that they were absolutely amazed and they were bewildered. And they actually, some of the people in the crowd, accused Jesus' followers of what? Anybody know? Being drunk. That's right. And, and Peter's like, no, this has nothing to do with too much wine. Actually, in response to the crowd's reaction, this reaction of amazement and bewilderment, Peter addressed them, and he basically says to this, he says, this shouldn't come as a surprise. Like, what, what has just happened here? What you're so amazed and bewildered about? Like, that shouldn't come as a surprise to you. This largely Jewish audience who most likely knew and understood the known scripture at that time, who likely knew and understood that this had been prophesied. Peter tells us who prophesied it. Who prophesied the coming of the Holy Spirit? Joel. We can read about that in the Old Testament. Peter, Peter quotes it. 
Peter points out to this largely Jewish audience who most likely knew the Scripture text that he was referring to that what they witnessed, that is the coming of the Holy Spirit, the prophet Joel had already prophesied about, much like the coming Messiah, Jesus being prophesied and promised all throughout Scripture, was now coming to fruition along with the Holy Spirit. Peter is essentially telling the crowd present, see, God told you so. But Peter doesn't spend his time just talking about what the crowds witnessed, the Holy Spirit coming down. He doesn't actually uh, spend the bulk of his message even talking about the Holy Spirit. Instead, Peter spends the bulk of his message talking about three things related to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Three things that Peter addresses, and these are, these are important as we then consider what happens after Peter's message to this crowd. The three things are the power of Jesus, the historicity of Jesus, and the importance of Scripture. So the power of Jesus, the historicity of Jesus, and then the power, or I'm sorry, the importance, rather, of Scripture. Now, the power of Jesus is critical because Jesus wasn't just some guy who said a bunch of good things and then died for a good cause. History is replete with men and women um, all throughout history who have done just that, who have died for noble causes. Peter here is saying that Jesus is not one of them. That Jesus is, in fact, the Son of the living God. God in the flesh. The historicity of Jesus is critical because Jesus isn't just some fairy tale that that Jewish parents are supposed to tell their kids at at, uh, bedtime. Was it something made up? That Jesus was an actual living, breathing human being, that he actually was born, that he actually lived, that he actually died, and that he actually rose from the dead. The history of Jesus is history. The importance of Scripture is critical because all of Scripture we talked about how the, uh, how the entirety of Scripture points to the coming Messiah. It points to God's relentless pursuit of his creation. The importance of Scripture is critical because, because all of Scripture points to the resurrection and sacrifice that Jesus became. Jesus became a sacrifice for our sins, and he did not remain in the grave. In that the resurrection is the whole point of Peter's message in Acts chapter 2. The truth of Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the foundation upon which all rest stands. Peter addresses this in Acts chapter 2, verses 29, and then verses 32 through 33. Fellow Israelites... I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. 
Then we jump to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation upon which all the rest stands. In that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is Christianity's foundation. A Christian stands on the foundation that is Jesus Christ, who was crucified, dead, buried, and then rose from the dead. And it is only because of this foundation in Jesus that the Holy Spirit was given And it is only because of the foundation of Jesus risen that those who follow Jesus are then given this message. The message that we've been saying summarizes the whole of the book of Acts, the message and mission of the church and of Christians alike, and that is the Holy Spirit empowers God's people to be his witness to the world. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people to be his witness to the world the world. So now here in Acts chapter 2, we have a whole new playing field. If you could draw a bit of a line in scripture and you could say, okay, this is what, this is what um, uh, followers of God, this is what followers of God were, were living by based on, the, you know, and, and you would say, okay, over here is that, and then now this is what the followers of God are living by and based by. You would see a line right here. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within followers of Jesus for the first time. We are now high priests That is, we don't need a high priest to advocate for us once a year to provide animal sacrifices. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. We now, as high priests, we have access to God anywhere at any time. Where's the temple? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's incredible. So the playing field has completely changed. So in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, if you'd like a Bible, you don't have one, there's some in front of you, or else you can certainly look on the screen. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, starting with verse 41, chapter 2, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The playing field has absolutely changed. 
Because of the foundation of the risen Savior and the indwelling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, followers of Jesus were now equipped and called to live differently. And they were called and equipped to live differently while committing to four essential elements. Four essential elements. The first, God's word. The second, fellowship with one another. The third, radical giving and sharing. And the fourth, prayer and worship. God's word, fellowship with one another, radical giving and sharing, and then praying and worshiping together. The church is now established. All right, all the ingredients, the ingredients that I just mentioned, God's word, fellowship with one another, radical giving and sharing, and then worshiping and praying together. We're put into that pot, mixed together, put in a pan, thrown in the oven, came out, cakes baked, the church is ready. And now God calls the church to be motivated by God's grace through Jesus Christ and be an alternate community to the world. Now, what's awesome, though, is because of these four commitments, God's word, fellowship with one another, radical generosity, radical giving and sharing, and then praying and worshiping together, because of these four commitments, there were two powerful realities that came about. The first reality was that the church was influencing the world for good. We see this in Acts chapter 2, the first part of verse 47. The followers of Jesus praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. Because they committed to God's word, because they committed to fellowship with one another, because they were generously, radically giving and sharing, and because they were worshiping and praying together, they gained favor with all the people. They had an influence in the world. And the second powerful reality comes in the second half of verse 47, and that is more people were becoming saved, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved because they committed to God's word, fellowship with one another, radical giving and sharing, and worshiping and praying together. So here, here's the summation. If we could work through a, um, uh, I've already proven my prowess at math, so if I can try this again. When the church devotes themselves to God's word, fellowship with one another, radical giving and sharing, worshiping and praying together, when the church commits themselves to these four things, then the church will undoubtedly influence the world and see others saved. They will influence the world and witness many being saved. That's the equation. So here's an important question that we should be asking, or an important set of questions. The first question is this. Does your individual life reflect that model? Not, not you know, uh, would you verbally be able to say that that is true, but is it actually true? Does your life reflect that model? 
Are you committed to God's word? Are you committed to fellowshipping with other believers, spurring one another towards love and good deeds? Are you committed to radical giving and sharing? Are you committed to worship and prayer? Are those things true of your life? And then the other important question that I think we have to ask is, is this church, North Haven, a reflection of that model? Is North Haven a church committed to God's word? Is North Haven a church that is committed to fellowshipping with one another? Is North Haven committed to radical generosity and sharing? And is North Haven church committed to worship and prayer? All four have to exist in order to be the church. All four essential elements of what constitutes the church of God, God's word, fellowship with one another, radical giving and sharing, and then worshiping and praying together, they are all equally essential. To void one is to void them all. N.T. Wright, famous theologian, he points out and states this. He says, the apostles' teaching, God's word, the common life of those who believed, uh, the breaking of bread and prayers, these four things go together. The things we just talked about, God's word, fellowship with one another, radical giving, and worshiping, praying together. N.T. Wright says, you can't separate them or leave one out without damaging the whole thing. Wright leans more into this when he points out God's word. In that if we neglect God's word, we then become susceptible as believers and as a church. We become susceptible to follow what the world values instead of what God values. With fellowship with one another, if we neglect to fellowship with one another, we will become isolated. We will become vulnerable to the attacks from the enemy, from the attacks from the evil one. The enemy wants nothing more than to get you off by yourself. If we neglect radical generosity and sharing, we will forget, we will dismiss, we will spit in the face of Jesus' essential teaching of being a servant to one another. And if we neglect praying and worshiping together, we will forget what N.T. Wright refers to as heaven and earth people. That is who we are. We are spiritual beings, followers of Jesus Christ. We are created to worship God. All of this is what it means to be the church, to be what N.T. Wright refers to as a gospel-centered community. And this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is how we influence the world. This is how we will see many become saved. As we love and obey God's word, we will change the world and we'll see others saved. It's as simple as that. That's, that's, why, uh, that's why we're going through the book of Acts through this whole year. That's why I have my Bible up here with me. And this is my, probably my most treasured possession. This is why we talk about the importance of being in God's word. As we walk in community with each other, we will change the world and we will see others saved. It's that simple. That's why it's important to spend time with one another, encourage and edify one another, and that's why it's important that you're in a small group. And because being in a small group is so very important, I just want to pause for a quick moment here and give you a chance to do just that. If you're interested, I want to put this up on the screen, if you're interested in either joining a small group or possibly starting a new one, all you have to do is simply text the word group to this phone number. We're going to leave this on the screen here for a little while. Text the word group to this phone number. And you're not committing to anything. We're not going to uh, text you back or call you back or email you, call you and say, hey, thanks for hosting 30 people next week. It's so great. It's just beginning a conversation. You're going to text the word group to this phone number. Once you do, you're going to get a response asking for your name, phone number, and email, and then Pastor Don is going to connect with you this week and see if we can get that ball rolling. Again, text that number, the word group, and you will automatically get a response, and we'll go from there. We'll leave that up on the screen as I continue. As we give radically and selfishly, or selflessly rather, we will change the world and see others saved. That's why it's so important to give to the church faithfully. The church is equipped to meet the needs of people in the church and outside the church. This is why we have a benevolence offering as well as Pastor Don will be out there at the close of the service to help others who are struggling with basic necessities. And as we pray and worship continually, we will change the world and we'll see others be saved. That's why we take the time like this on Sunday mornings to worship together. That's why we have committed over the next couple months to be praying with each other every Tuesday night from 5.30 to 6.30. We've been given a mission. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people to be his witness to the world. And as a church, if we remain committed to this mission and we remain committed to God's word, if we remain committed to fellowship with one another, if we remain committed to radical generosity and sharing, if we remain committed to worship and prayer, if we do that, we'll change the world. If we do that, many will become saved. If we do. 
If you can, I'll invite you to stand. We're going to, as we do at the close of every service, say this together as our commitment over the course of this year as a church, North Haven Church, and as individuals saved by the grace of God. Please recite this with me. We are the church. We have received power from the Holy Spirit. We are Jesus' witness to the world. We will give the love of Jesus to each other, to our community, and to the ends of the earth, because we are the church. Amen. God bless. We'll see you soon.